we did. We, we, we had a special weekend here, and uh, I am I'm, I'm very thankful for it. I got to get bits and pieces of it uh, as well. Barb, thank you for sharing Jesus with our ladies. Um, you've been, obviously your family, but you've become, you've become a friend in a way that um, is so amazing the last, uh, the, the last many, many, many years. I'll, ne I'll never forget a conversation that we had. It was uh, maybe about a year ago, I can't remember, but we were, we were in your city in Laguna Beach and you had taken us to an area and we were talking about worship and how when, and I've noticed this in our church that when we sing songs that lift high the name of Jesus, how well you sing unto the Lord. And I'll, I'll never forget that. And so thank you for that, for that conversation. Mike, I don't know where he might've slipped out, but uh, Mike has put so many extra hours in uh, this week uh, to make sure that that fellowship hall was ready with the sound. We have a new sound system for there as well. So we don't have to move everything from here to there. That's part of the decline of our system is constantly having to move it. And so I just want to publicly uh, thank him uh, for all that, that he's done uh, for this conference. Sandy and, uh, and Helen and Kristen and maybe others that participated in bringing the food. Uh, I want to thank you. I echo what Mike said. The food was, the food was incredible. And uh, so, men, and let's be ready for our, our Bible study. Well, ours will be breakfast food, but it'll be, it'll be good stuff. And so just thank you for uh, leading in the capacity of the worship team, uh, the extra practices. Um, I know uh, some of you stayed a couple hours even after our picnic a few weeks ago just to practice. I want to thank you. Uh, thank you for just a wonderful time. And then those that kind of just stayed to help clean up uh, last night, uh, yesterday, and just uh, there was a lot to do. And I want to thank you for uh, every bit of the effort uh, that you put forth. And then Sarah, thank you for loving our, our women so well. And her heart is for you, ladies, and uh, that you would grow in your knowledge of the word. And uh, Barb, thank you for helping with that. And so it's just been a, it's just been a great weekend. And uh, Nick, thanks for being back there on the slides. I take full responsibility for uh, the one mistake. I was supposed to be back there over the shoulder and I just wanted to come and worship uh, with you guys. My heart was getting stirred up. So I apologize leaving you hanging back there, bro. But thank you um, for just how you're stepping in and serving in that capacity with others and the uh, and some of our teenagers as well. And so it's just so, uh, so exciting. Well, we're going to continue in our series of the Sermon on the Mount. And I have uh, so enjoyed uh, this series. We have spent over 20 weeks uh, in this study uh, so far, and we're just kind of turning the corner into verses 20 and on, really, of, uh, of chapter number five. And so we're just continuing uh, this series that we've entitled The Way of Jesus. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for it. Let me start off uh, this morning by telling you something that I've not even told my wife or my kids. And that is, not too long ago, I was responsible for someone's death. Now let me tell you what happened. Danielle was, Danielle was driving on her first full day of having her permit. So she got her permit like mid-afternoon. And then the first full day, we needed to go, I think, to uh, TJ Maxx or something. And so we said, Danielle, here's the keys. Drive the family. 
And we were turning onto industrial, and so you'd make a right, and there are two different lanes that you can turn into. And her being a rather new driver, she kind of chose both lanes, if you know what I mean, right? Just kind of kind of stood there, was right there in, in the middle of both lanes and was a little bit indecisive. I was trying to coach her and she was really nervous. Well, there was this guy behind us that was just and just was and then flew by us when she finally chose the left lane. And I'm like, student driver! And saying other things as well. And so one might be thinking, Pastor Ryan, did you, did you, cause the, did you crash into him? No, I didn't. Uh, did you cause him to maybe uh, later get into an accident with someone else? No, I didn't. Then one might be thinking, then why did you say that you were part of his death? Or why did you maybe allude to that you had, you had killed him? Well, according to Jesus, I did. I killed him. Not physically, but mentally. Not with my hands, but with my heart and with my mind. I want to take you to Matthew chapter number 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 21. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. That word their brother is kind of in a kind of similar line with kind of the word neighbor in a sense. It's it's, it, it's in its most basest form there, of just kind of individuals there. And it says, in danger of the judgment, whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, which is a Greek word in a sense meaning kind of you're, you're, you're worthless, you are, that there's no value whatsoever in you, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. We will go through these verses, but I want to give you the title, From Murderers to Reconcilers. Let's ask the Lord to bless one more time. Father, I come before you now that, Lord, that you would anoint this time. I submit it completely over to your power, to your sovereignty, to do with it what you desire. Lord, I come in literally just wanting you to work. No agenda whatsoever. And Father, may you reign supreme through our time here this morning. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So for the next several weeks in our study here of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see Jesus apply something that we talked about a few weeks ago when Jesus was saying about the letter of the law and the spirit of the law and how they, and, and, and how they relate. In each section here, going forward through this sermon of his, we're going to take one to two laws down kind of, uh, and, and, and we're going to press down into it. We're going to see what God's heart is in that law. He says to us in his sermon here, he says, you've heard it said, and you can fill in a law or you can fill in a kind of a, a cultural norm. You've said that it says this, but I tell you, and then he's going to kind of unpack his real heart 
on the different topics. And so today, we're going to look at his command to not murder, to not be a murderer. Now, I'm going to go ahead and just give away the ending. You're not necessarily supposed to do that when you're a public speaker. But the way Jesus is going to kind of unflesh this and unpack it is that building community and preventing relational breakdown is the real heart behind this law. That's kind of where it boils all the way down to. And so we're going to look at it this morning in two different chunks. In the first two verses, Jesus makes his argument. And in the last four verses, he kind of teaches us how to apply it to our lives. And so this morning, let's kind of just work our way down uh, through this text. Let's begin in verse number one again. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, or I put that word in there, worthless, shall be in danger of the council. But whoso shall say, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Do you see the, the argument that Jesus just made in those two verses? It's absolutely fascinating to me. He starts with the external law that you should not murder, and then he takes it internal, and he does it quickly. I mean, just right away. Starts with the external of not to murder, and then right away goes right to the internal. You've said, you've heard it said that you shouldn't murder, but I want to talk to you about anger. I want to I talk to you about the words that you use. About the only way to kind of, kind of, you think about this, it's murder is a big, big, big deal. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? It's the sixth commandment, uh, I believe, of the Ten Commandments. So not, not murdering, it's a big deal. And he's going to move this very quickly right into the heart of the matter. The only way that you could maybe make this crime a little bit worse would be to maybe kill multiple people or to be doing something else while you are murdering someone. And Jesus tells his audience, when it comes to murder, you know whoever murders is going to be liable to judgment in the courts. He's, he's, he's literally saying that. If you're a murderer, there's going to be an arrest, there's going to be a judge, there's going to be a courtroom, there's going to be some prison time of some kind. But Jesus quickly goes on and continues, but I say that any of you that have anger in your heart with his brother will be, uh-oh, the exact same words. You're going to be in danger. You're going to be, in, you're going to be liable for judgment. Wait. No, 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 Jesus. This must have been some form of a verbal typo. It had to have been. There's no way that you can be equating anger and murder. And if you are equating anger and murder together, one must ask the question, why? Now, before I answer that, before I answer of why Jesus would connect anger and murder together, let me make sure half of you do not doze off by thinking, well, I'm not really an angry person. And this doesn't apply to me. So I don't want you to think that. I don't want you to be sitting there, well, hey, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not an angry person. Because when we talk about anger, there's two equal and almost opposite groups of people. 
And the two people, they, they both deal with anger. First of all, the group number one is outward rage. That's the, that's the first group. When you're mad and everybody knows it. You speak out your, your anger. You, you show it on your face. Now, I assure you, when that man, he was like a, he had to have been some kind of, he had to have been some young teenager. I don't know. But he was just, he was just blown by. He knew. I was in the passenger seat. He knew I was mad. I was like, student driver, you know. And I was just, I was, phys, you, know, you know, very, very, very mad. I have a friend that when he's mad, the red starts in his neck, and you can just begin to see it go up his neck into his cheeks, and I'm like, dude, I got to get out of this room. Ah, maybe you know someone like that too. To be honest with you, this is some of you, and it's causing all kinds of destruction. Breakdown in your family, your close friends, negatively affects your career, and oh, by the way, it also affects your physical health. And if that is you, you're not going to love what Jesus has to say here. But at least you'll know that he's talking to you. But there's a second group, right? Not outward rage, but inward rage. When you're mad, nobody knows it. Sometimes not even you might even know it. Because you rage, but you rage on the inside. You take your anger, and what you do is you push it way down. You camouflage your anger towards others with insecurity, with self-doubt or self-hatred. You stuff it, and you stuff it, and so, you can, you know, so, you can, um, so it can fester and transform into bitterness and resentment at some point. Now, some of us, if we're not careful, we think that um, being a mature Christian means that you're never allowed to be angry. Or you're never allowed to admit that you do get angry. And that's not true. And it's also not possible. There is a biblical category for righteous anger and a righteous way to deal with our anger. But the answer is not hiding it. The answer is not trying to, you know, act like, you know, that, that we're really not angry. Because here's, here's the truth. God already knows we are. And then if you really, really, really get to know somebody, my family knows when I'm angry. And you know what I do? All they got to do is watch my cheek and I grit my teeth. Oh, I'm, I, I don't get red yet. I've probably not even said anything yet. I'm, I, I tend to be somewhat of a kind of a peacemaker when it comes to this. And so I might not say anything, but you know, they know I'm mad. And so I just, my jaw starts moving. So now if you're ever with me and you see my jaw moving, it doesn't mean that I'm always mad, Okay. I know you're right. I could be chewing gum, okay? <laughs> but we, 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 you know how I'm doing this? We, because I don't really have often the outward outbursts. I did with that guy when he was being mean to Danielle when she's trying to learn to drive. But God knows. We can't hide it. But Jesus is saying here, whichever way you go at it, whether your anger spews out of you like a volcano or grows deep inside of you like a cancerous mold, Either way, the long-term result is the same. The breakdown of relationships and community. No matter what. You see, murder is the most immediate and extreme form, obviously, of relational breakdown. Obviously. But anger and resentment leads to tiny little relationship murders every single day. We just don't always see it. Now, the longer I've watched kind of uh, humans walk together in community, certainly the longer that I, I, I've pastored, I, the more I realize how hard it is for us 
to have long-lasting relationships, like deep relationships that are, that, that are long and, 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 they're, and they're meaningful. Yeah, because over the, over the long haul, little things, they can kind of build up over time. Anger begins to grow, wounds happen, and we don't necessarily know how to articulate it well with that individual, or we lack some courage to say, hey, what you said really hurt, or what you did has caused this in my life. And so rather than necessarily in grace saying something, trying to be a peacemaker, instead we just kind of harbor that. And then over time, it gets bigger and bigger, and, and, and bitterness grows. All kinds of relationships get murdered without anyone actually dying. Marriages, parent-child relationships, home group relationships, friendships, and so on. People leave churches sometimes because of a small thing that happened years ago, but it's gotten bigger and bigger and never ever dealt with. It's getting pushed down. We're, we're inward raging. Yeah, we're not saying anything, we're not sending anything, but hey, it's kind of, it's building up. And then when it does come out, yikes, like where did that come from? So Jesus, he's, he's he, the, the, we know this is what, you know, Jesus is saying here because he doesn't stop with just the anger toward, you know, someone. He goes a little bit deeper. Look at verse number 22. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment and... Whosoever to say to his brother, Raka, getting it worthless, shall be in danger of the council. But whoso shall say, shall say, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. These are both seemingly very, very small offenses. That word Raka there, okay, it's, it, it, they're literally, it's literally the, the Greek word Raka. You know what it means? Like when they were, when they were originally translating the uh, the greek into english how they would say so i i put worthless up there uh, but how they would have said it you know back back in the day would have been a feather brain now we don't talk like that today you you feather brain that's kind of what that word raka would have been sounded like or maybe bring it to a little bit further into our vernacular you good for nothing worthless kind of how we would say it today. The Greek word for the word fool there in that text is the word moros. It is the root word that we eventually gave us our English word moron. Moron. These aren't huge crimes like murder in our mind. They're small, barely noticed, fleeting thoughts and words. Words that kind of just fall off the, the, the tip of our tongues and sometimes we don't even know that we're saying it. I've tried to kind of bring this into retrospect even this week as I've been preparing to, uh, to preach this. And I was kind of in the kitchen with, with a few of our ladies yesterday and just one of these words just kind of came off my tongue. I was like, Ryan, stop. And we kind of joked about it and we, uh, we, we engaged on the, on the topic. But sometimes we don't even give it a second thought of how we degrade people. But Jesus is telling us that they actually expose a massive heart issue, so don't check out, because this is actually something that, that, that the Lord wants to impress this morning upon all of us. And he says this heart issue, it has huge ramifications 
for insulting someone, or your brother, or just kind of just, just really anyone, he says that you're going to be liable to the council. Now, now listen, this is a reference to the Jewish Sanhedrin, which would have kind of been their supreme court of the day. This is, this is, this is a big deal here. And then even worse, for calling someone a fool, he says you're going to be liable to the hell of fire. It's like a, it's like a crazy inversion here in, 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 in this text where the crimes, they're getting smaller and smaller from murder to anger to insulting to calling someone a moron. But the punishments are going up to kind of a local court, to the Supreme Court, to ultimately the judge of God, and then to hellfire and damnation. But do not miss this. Don't miss the weight of Jesus' words. This is the, the, the glorious impossibility of the law. Because what this does is none of us are without excuse this morning. None of us can sit there and say, yeah, well, uh, this definitely isn't for me. I've never murdered anybody. Yeah, maybe with our hands we haven't, but have we with our head and our hearts? Jesus is saying, yes, we have, according to these descriptions. And so the weight of the law, and what is the law supposed to do? It's our tutor, right? It's our, it's our schoolmaster. It's to drive us. It's to push us to the sufficiency of Christ. Think about this. Jesus Christ fulfilled this perfectly. His entire life, Jesus wouldn't have said one of these insulting words like we do. That's amazing. That's your Savior. That's who we sing about. Our anthem, Jesus Christ. It's awesome. Why is Jesus so adamant here about some things that do not seem like a big deal at all? Like, Ryan, why are you, why are you really preaching and, 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 and on this? This really is a perfect message for voting week. By the way, we ought to be praying this week. We'd be praying along moral lines, but this is a perfect message for this week. Let me give you kind of a, a broader, like, biblical worldview that speaks into this text. Number one, Jesus never forgets that we are image bearers. He never forgets that. The biblical view of Genesis 1 is that humans have built in dignity and worth and value because we are made in God's image. And, and when it comes to image bearers, Jesus has a very clear and high view on how they should be treated, even with our words, even with our thoughts. So when we nonchalantly just think about some of, oh yeah, that, that, that person's an idiot, we're, we're, we're literally calling an image bearer an idiot. Like, well, how come, how come you can't think? Well, you know, well, why are you, you know, whatever, perfect example for this week. Why are you voting like that? You know, can't you think? Hello? Man, he's such an idiot. Or, man, she's such a mess. Jesus is standing there and he's saying, no, no, no. They're an image bearer just like you. Jesus is saying here in our text, when we understand a more biblical worldview, that none of our decisive, uh, dismissive, insulting, idle thoughts or talk, that they're benign. Because the person that we just called an idiot, or the person that we just called a moron, or the person that we just called a fool, is an image bearer. The person you hold sinful anger towards is an image bearer of the king and you do not talk about God's king and his image 
that way. So why is this relevant, Ryan? Because God never, Jesus never forgets that we're all image bearers. When you take the whole of Scripture, let me give you another one. Jesus never forgets the danger of self-righteousness. See, the, one of the ways that sin has so twisted us up, our human hearts get so twisted, is because we like to spotlight other people's issues rather than ours. And so what will happen is, is we will see the perceived faults in someone else, and yet when it comes to our own, we come out, you know, just knight in shining armor. We're always, you know, we're always right, and we don't ever think wrong. And so when we struggle, we say things like, well, you just need to understand my heart. It wasn't really my intention when I did that. You know, I just misspoke. It's how my parents raised me. If you knew what kind of week I had. So what do we do? We excuse when we say something that we shouldn't, when we do something to someone that we shouldn't, when we, when we react in a way that we shouldn't. Often what we'll do is we will excuse ourselves, but then we'll look at another person and be like, how dare you talk to me like that? How come? And so we don't, we don't give the same benefit of the doubt for that person. Why? Because we puff ourselves up with self-righteousness. And so Jesus, he, he, he doesn't ever forget the danger of this. See, what happens when we let anger fester and when it grows in our hearts, we start to become experts in other people's weaknesses and blind to their strengths. We start seeing, saying things like, you always, or you never. That's a guarantee that we're not seeing clearly when we start saying that. And then we take our strengths and we lay them out against their weaknesses. We make an internal case for our anger because I'm pretty awesome at this. <laughs> And you're pretty bad at this, clearly. Pretty soon, everything you look at, you start to find evidence to justify your own rage because we're so self-righteous. And what's the law? It's glorious. The law is glorious. It's impossible for its reason because our hero, King Jesus, comes in. And so what happens is, is we say things like, man, I always clean up after myself. And she never cleans up her socks or whatever. I make dinner every single night. Can I just get some help with this meal? And we say things like that. Psychologists, they have a name for this. It's called fundamental, fundamental attribution error. It's a cognitive disorder where we attribute blame and we over-personalize others' weaknesses, but biasly downplay our own. You know, Jesus actually talks about this later in his sermon. In Matthew chapter number 5, beginning, beginning in verse number 3, I'm not necessarily going to read it, Nick, but it's like Jesus is saying this. He's like, you see this little like speck in this person's eye, and you know what Jesus says? You've got a beam in your own. And what Jesus ultimately, we're going to get to that much later in our, in, our, in our study when we get to chapter 7, but Jesus is like, you know, this beam is actually causing you, you really don't know if this person has a speck or not. And so we become, if we're not careful, hypocritical. And so Jesus, what he does is Jesus never forgets the danger of self-righteousness. When you take the whole of Scripture. Let me give you a third one here. Jesus never forgets who the real judge is. Part of why Jesus reminds us with each of these infractions that we will face a court and a judge is because in each of these acts, we're wrongfully and sinfully in our own self-righteousness, setting ourselves up as the judge. Right? Murder is the ultimate act of judgment 
on a human kind of existence. You no longer deserve to live, hence I'm going to take your life. I am the judge over you, so I am going to murder you. But in the same way, when we call someone a fool, when we let anger into our hearts grow towards someone, we're saying in little ways that I sit in judgment over you. That is what Jesus is saying when we insult or we call them a fool. We're judging their values, that their value is less than ours. But hear me, that seat, it doesn't belong to us. We don't get to determine the value of someone else. God's already done that when he created him in his image, which means everyone is of immense value, even when they don't see the same way you see it. Perfect message for this week. And God's not looking for a consolation on who matters and who doesn't. Certainly not from fallible, self-righteous, biased sinners like myself. He's not looking for that. We are okay, we okay this morning? I told you we, were going, we went from you know, Psalm 23 and, you know, ah, and then to the Sermon on the Mount. Ooh. So, number four, Jesus values relationship and community more than we do. See, God's heart behind the command, do not murder, is not limited to just the do not portion of it. The heart behind this law, when you take again, kind of the whole of scripture again, is much, has so much do for God's people. Do reflect God's perfect triune loving relationship he has lived in for all of eternity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Perfect unity, one another. Do love each other with a love that, that, that is surprising and shines light into the darkness. Do walk in long-term, committed, deeply known and loving relationships. Do bear with each other so no, no matter what the circumstances are. Do humbly own your sin so that your relationships don't break down. See, all of this is difficult uphill climb for us modern Christian, Western world Christians because we like to think, keep things kind of, you know, just at a distance. So this type, of, this type of living, this otherworldly, where, where Christ in us allows us to kind of experience the kingdom now, if we're not careful in this Western Christian culture, this is going to feel like a straitjacket. You know, we like to, well, we kind of like to have our space around us at times. If most of your friendships involve seeing people about every few weeks when you go to a restaurant together, then you can just find new folks to do that. But that's not what Jesus is after. Jesus is after knitting us together as people for a long haul. He's looking to build us in such a way that we love each other and need each other and we weather storms and arguments and disagreements and total different views of things. One of the reasons I, I love our church is if you allowed us as a church body to have a blended form of worship where you have worship that is, in a sense, engaging this next generation, and you also have worship that is including some of the older hymns. And I'm not calling you old by loving the hymns. That's not what I'm doing. It's a beautiful blendedness. Because all of it, we strive for it to be about the Lord and not about us. And so we might have different views on that, but I appreciate how you've allowed the Lord to lead and to guide and so we can, so we can touch into all different realms. 
We're never getting rid of all of the old stuff. Why? Because we want it to be blended. We're never going to a modern service and a traditional service. I don't see that in Scripture. A blended, beautiful, and this is what God wants. But that means that we're going to differ at times. And God's all about community. He's all about this relationship and valuing it. He's looking to grow us in such a love for people that we don't so nonchalantly insult and dismiss each other with thoughts and words. Can I, let, can I use my kids? I got permission from them for this. Can I kind of to give you an example of this point. At least once a month, ah, we'll be a little bit more gracious, maybe every about six, six weeks or so, I got to get in the middle of them when they're being absolute monsters to each other. You know what I'm talking about? Just complete monsters. I got to be like, hey, stop it. You know, to, to, don't talk to your brother or don't talk to your sister the way that you do. It's not so much what they say, it's more how they say it. You know what I'm talking about, parents? Right? You know, the normal sibling stuff. And at times in the past, when I just sometimes get so just exasperated through it, what I'll do sometimes is I'll, whichever one I'm needing to referee in between, I'll try to, I'll lock eyes with that child. And I'll say, do you hate your sister? And there's like kind of a rolling of the eyes, no. Do you love your brother? Yes. Are they family? Yes then why are you talking to them like that? And it's like the light bulbs go on. It's kind of like Jesus is doing that here. It's like, it's like Jesus is just, it's, it's like he's grabbing our face and he's like he's saying, hey child, look here. Look, 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 look at me. Who are you angry with? Who are you, who are you cursing at? Who are you belittling? An image bearer of me. They're like you. Oh, but they're not right. Oh, but they are. On this kingdom level, they are. And we're called to live in this otherworldly way. It's so different than the way our world lives. That's the point. It's attractive. Are they image bearers? then what are you thinking about her? Why are you thinking about her like that? Why are you talking about him like that? Is that your brother or sister in my adopted family, certainly the Christian realm? Oh, we should never talk about this in a Christian. Then why are you murdering them in your heart? And part of how we know this is what Jesus is thinking about here is the application points he makes as he's wrapping up this passage. Look at verse number 23. Therefore, ah, whenever you see a word like that, ooh, it's connected to what we've just talked about. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and thou rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. So application, I, I want to I give you some application. Application point number one, always be reconciling. Always. Did you catch what Jesus said there? Jesus says that if you're worshiping God and you remember that your brother has, some, has something against you, maybe you've sinned against them, maybe you've hurt them, what does Christ say? Leave your gift 
there, before, at the altar. Just, just leave it there. Stop worshiping. Stop the ceremony. Stop the singing if you need to. And go be reconciled. Go humble yourself. Go, go apologize. Go own your sin. Go, go make it right. I mean, I want you to think about the exact, this is the exact opposite of what so often what we want to do, right? And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You stop this and you go make it right. Where we, it's so, it's so otherworldly when we're, I'm not willing to write you off. I'm not going to justify myself and fuel my rage that you are an idiot. I'm coming to you humbly. I'm listening. I'm apologizing. I'm owning my sin. Why? Because I'm fighting for our relationship. Jesus takes this, this seriously. There are many things that we do in life that you could think, yeah, you know what? God says, hey, I want you to stop that. But worship? You really want me to stop what we were created for? Worship? Yes. Jesus is like, I want you to stop that. What could possibly be that serious? Us. Image bearers are that serious that he would say, stop worshiping me right now. When you know the whole of Scripture, that worship is rather meaningless when we had ought with a brother anyways. He's saying, it's worth it. Us, the family, the image bearers of God. Now listen, if you, as you've been listening this morning and God's Spirit keeps bringing someone to mind, can I encourage you as soon as this sermon's over, go talk to them. Call them if you have to, but don't put it off. Verse 25. Agree with your adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest anything, anytime the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Let me give you application point number two. Pursue peace quickly. Jesus started with a really broad application of any time you realize that someone is mad at you because you've wronged them, starts off really specific. He says, I want you to go talk to them. I want you to go try to, try to reconcile that. And then he turns to a much more specific, a much ser more serious situation where you have an accuser. And certainly in this case, maybe it's even in a court. And he says, if it's possible, come to terms. If it's possible, make peace. Resolve this situation as soon as possible. Otherwise, it's going to cost you. And I think of, I think of college sports and uh, mainly college football. And what will happen is, is they have certain, the NCAA has recruiting laws. And every once in a while, you read about it in the news, especially if you're a sports fan, where, where these, uh, where, where these um, you know, colleges, they don't, they don't follow all the rules. And they bring like these you know, amazing athletes in and they do it under the, you know, they, they're bribing them and whatnot. And when this stuff comes to light, those that are willing to deal with it right away and those that are willing to kind of bring the punishment even upon ourselves uh, with, with, with this, they tend to do a lot better as an organization, as an institution, than those that try to hide it. And then it comes out through the courts that, oh, this thing was bigger, and then they get penalized financially, and then even national championships sometimes get stripped from them. And so basically, Jesus is saying here, if it gets all the way to this point, you need to do your very best 
to pursue this peace as quickly as you can. So to, to kind of to, to see what Jesus is saying here, do not give in to your self-assured, self-righteous, anger, angry heart. He's saying, humble yourself, own your sin, go to the accuser, and do what you need to do. You know what Jesus is flushing out here? His beatitude that we're to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, 12, verse 18, if it be possible, if it's possible, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. And so you can't control that. All you can control is, is your part. And so we are to, we're to, to, to allow, allow the Lord to, to work in these situations. But we know that it's not always possible. And sometimes you've done everything that you can possibly do. But Jesus commands here that, if we, that we, we should fight. We, kind of, we should have a bent towards peacemaking whenever possible. We should be, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, we're almost done. We should be suspicious of our anger. Should be suspicious of it. Begin to say, okay, where's this coming from? Is this coming from my self-righteousness? Is this coming from some other avenue? Be suspicious of your anger, and we should be prayerful towards peace, always. There's a good chance that you might be thinking, I don't know, but Ryan, you don't understand my situation. Ryan, my, my anger is warranted. My, my case is too complicated for reconcil reconciliation to happen. I have my rights. They must pay. I get it. I do the very same thing. Martin Lloyd-Jones says in his study in the Sermon on the Mount, if God stood upon his rights and dignity, upon his person, every one of us would be consigned to hell and absolute perdition. So here's how I want to encourage you. If maybe you've been thinking, ah, this is just too hard. Here, here's, here's how I want to encourage you. Shift your perspective this morning from that person or from that situation, shift your perspective from that and consider God's case of anger against yourself. God's case to not be reconciled to you. What would that case be? How many times have you kept sinning against him? How many times has God said, no, 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 I don't want you, and then we just go anyways. No, 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 I don't want you to watch that. I'm going to watch it anyways. I don't want you to listen to that. I'm going to listen to it anyways. I don't want you to say that. I'm going to say it anyways. I don't want you to get mad at that guy that's just oblivious to that there's a student driver there. Let me tell you, since that happened, we ordered on Amazon those big, huge yellow signs that say, be patient, student driver. Hey, I didn't know. So now we've got it, and they're a little bit more patient. But how many times have we sinned against God anyways? How much would it cost him to make sure that your relationship with him could be restored and that it could last, hear me, for the long haul? What was it going to cost? You know, 
cost him the cross. It cost him his son. And yet he did it willingly. And he did it with joy in his heart. And the joy that was set before him went through the shame, went through all of that, endured the cross. Why? So that you can be reconciled. Celebrating that another lost son or daughter could be returned to him. His radical counter Conditional love is the foundation for our relationship in our community. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love. God shows his love. God has radically displayed his love to you and to me. Why? How? While you were a sinner, Christ died for you. He loved you unconditionally. You're his image bearer. And God left heaven in the person of His Son who was eternal. And He left the, 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 the beauty of, uh, of that relationship in heaven. Walked this earth for 33 and a half years and at the very end, He's like, God, the Father, if there's any other way, I don't want, I don't want to take this sin. I, 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 don't, I don't want to take this separation. But I will follow Your will anyways. Why? So you can be reconciled. So that you could come from a murderer, an enemy of God, Peter tells us that before our salvation, we were like the individuals that were beaten on the outside of the ark. Let me in, let me in. You know what that means? You've rejected, 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 rejected. And then you get saved. Then you trust Christ as your Savior. Then you come to ask Him to forgive you of your wrongs. And that relationship gets changed. Amazing. Now I want to ask you a question. Can you do that? Could you love and keep loving where love is not returned? Of course not. Unless the Spirit of Christ is working in you. And the Spirit of Christ, when He is working in you, this is actually how you will live. This, my friend, is the fleshing out of the Beatitudes. Of literally where we so change our view of that person that we're looking at that we don't call him a fool. We don't call him a moron. Call him a jerk. Instead, you see him through the eyes. Christ. For murderers, to reconcilers. Now I have no way of finding that man that I murdered in my mind. But I wish I could. I wish I could. And so God has already kind of been working in my heart of just some of the things that just slip off. Hey, husbands and wives, let's try this. I promise you. It's, it, it, it's, it's hard. But the Spirit of Christ in us, it's doable. Because Christ fully lived this to the T and took all of the shame, all of the reproach of us not doing it well and bore that on the cross so that his righteous record could be applied to us. And so God, when he sees me, he doesn't see me as a murderer anymore. He sees me as a reconciler in Jesus. And I'm praying that that's the 
the reality of my everyday life. I'm praying for you as well. Every head bowed, every eye closed.